This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Rattled and Shook is released weekly, every Thursday, and brought to you absolutely free. But if you want to listen ad-free, subscribe to Tenderfoot Plus at TenderfootPlus.com or on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get exclusive bonus episodes. For more information, check out the show notes. Now, enjoy the episode. And now, presenting Rattled and Shook. I'm April. <laughs> and I'm Meredith. And this is Rattled and Shook, a podcast where we tune into scary stories and discuss our deepest, darkest fears, but in a fun way. Well, this episode is going to be fire themed, firefighting themed, mm. fireman themed. Not fire as in your outfit. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded so natural. As in like, yeah. <laughs> You know, when you use fire, it's usually in reference on like a post of someone who's like serving in a picture, you know? (laughs) (laughs) That's a really great description. (laughs) Anyway, um, yeah, it's it's fireman themed. Mm Mm-hmm. Ooh. Yay. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your service, multiple firemen that made this episode possible. We've got three stories about firemen and or fire stations or something firefight firefighted firefighting related Whew, that's a mouthful. <laughs> when you were a kid were you afraid of fire <laughs> or is this just a me thing <laughs> oh you were afraid of fire oh uh, yeah i was afraid of fire i think this is gonna go very predictably um in that i was not afraid of fire <laughs> i really liked fire <laughs> oh maybe a little too much so you're like a little pyromaniac i would Try to do controlled burns of things. Maybe I shouldn't say this. No, no, you're too late. (laughs) Out with it. I don't condone this behavior. What were you controlled burning? Uh, It's a really great way to 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 couch being a pyro. (laughs) Just setting Q-tips on fire in my sink. Is that (laughs) is that pyro behavior? Um, no, 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 no. That's normal. That's totally normal. Dixie cups. So you just burn things. It was always on top of a surface that would not spread the fire. I just kind of wanted to see, you know, like the way it grows across <laughs> the object. You just wanted to watch the world burn. <laughs> oh, my God. What a reveal. <laughs> I What a reveal. Fire is, is mesmerizing, but it's also terrible and does so much damage. You know, like it's it's this, it's a force of nature. It's an element. And what if you could be in control of that damage? <laughs> That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> Um, but anyway, we were very different. Yeah. 
So you were you wanted to control burn things, um, which means you wanted to like handle the fire. Yes, I uh, still don't use matches. <laughs> really, I still don't use matches. No, I don't like it. I don't like being that close to it. <laughs> so you only use like the long barbecue lighters. <laughs> Is that <laughs> yeah? Yeah, I've recently started using the baby bic lighters though. Huge step up for me. Good for you. Okay, Thank yeah. You. I can use a match, but like, let's just say it doesn't look natural. <laughs> it's forced every time. Yeah. Like I do it too light, you know, like I'm not really in it. Do you close your eyes when you do it? I definitely flinch a little. I definitely flinch a little. You're like, this might be it. Um, I was really afraid. I, I had like recurring nightmares that there there was a hallway coming towards my room. Uh-huh. And I had recurring nightmares for a little while when I was young that like fire would be coming down that hallway into my room. Ooh. And uh then I wouldn't be able to get to my parents. I wouldn't be able to get out. And I remember having like a streak of waking up to nightmares about fires. Yeah. And it got so bad that my mom brought me to the local fire station to meet with the fireman. <gasps> You've yes. told me this. I remember this. Yeah. That's so cute. I love that she did that. I know. It's really cute now. I love that my mom did that too. It really does feel very 90s. Yeah. Because it was. It's so quaint. It's so quaint. Anyway, I'm looking forward to this episode. Me too. To trigger me a little bit. Oh. <laughs> well, I'll be here with you. That is the deal. <laughs> you should be here. <laughs> don't don't please don't go. I don't want to do this by myself. My grandfather was a firefighter for almost 30 years. He always told this really spooky story that has stayed with me well into adulthood. You know, you think that your grandfather is just telling a scary story for the, for the sake of it. You know, maybe to mess with you or whatever, but this was one story he always insisted was real. And the details, they never changed. So, I believe it too. One night, his station was called to a large structure fire. They showed up to see it was a large warehouse. Several stations had been called, and my grandfather and the other firefighters went inside to try to fight it from the inside out. In a fire that big, they have to wear their full turnout gear. You know, this includes the oxygen masks, oxygen tanks, the helmets, jackets, pants, the whole nine. When you wear all this equipment, it can get kind of disoriented, you know? So they would follow the hoses to keep their bearings straight so they could kind of see where they were going. This was before they had speakers and, you know, walkie-talkies and their helmets to help them know what to do and where to go. So the fire was slowly becoming what they call fully involved, which is a term used to say that the building is a total loss and the, the firefighters need to get out like now. At this point, my grandfather was really tired. It was hot and he was becoming disoriented. He couldn't find any of the other firefighters, and so he started to trail along the hose, you know, to try to try to find his way out. He was starting to panic. All of a sudden, he meets another firefighter going the opposite direction. He hadn't seen him before, and he couldn't see his face through the helmet, which isn't too abnormal. Once you've been in a fire for a while, the, the soot gets on the front. So granddaddy signaled he was going out and the other firefighter signaled he was going the wrong way. My granddaddy was sure he was right, but the other guy started to get pretty agitated. 
he grabbed my grandfather's oxygen hose and he cut off his oxygen. So granddaddy figured he must be pretty serious. He decided to follow him out. And they, they made it out safely. But then my grandfather couldn't find him anywhere. He asked several other firefighters and his chief if he saw him. On the way out of the building, my granddaddy saw the name on the back of the firefighter's jacket, R. Brayburn. When he asked what station Brayburn was with, nobody could answer. Granddaddy didn't think much of it and knew in a fire that big, you know, with that many guys, it was easy for people to get lost in the crowd. So, several weeks later, his chief brought out a bunch of old firefights annuals. They have, you know, pictures of the staff and the men who worked. They were all looking at a 1920s one, and my granddaddy froze on the class picture for that year. There was the name, Ray Brayburn. He got white-faced. The, the guys asked him what was wrong. He said, that's the man who got me out of that warehouse fire. They all thought he was joking, you know, he, he just played it off. My granddaddy was kind of a jokester and, and, you know, spun a lot of stories anyway. That is, until Chief came over and said that he remembered my granddaddy asking him about it. He said it was impossible for him to have made it up because these annuals had been locked in the storage room of the station for years. He said he didn't know if it was a ghost or an angel that saved him. I mean, either way, he was eternally grateful to Brayburn for his life. For several years, I didn't know if he really made it up or if it was true. My grandmother has validated that fire's existence and said that her husband really did almost die in it due to being lost. Years later, after my grandfather passed, I actually ended up becoming a home health nurse. I went to see a patient who had a lot of firefighter memorabilia on his walls. So, you know, naturally I asked if he had been a firefighter. He said yes, he was actually a chief of the same fire department where my grandfather worked. I asked if he knew my grandfather, and he said of course. After several minutes talking about him and their career together, he got quiet. And then he asked, did he ever tell you about the Ray Brayburn story? So this story, great stuff, I think has a really great ending. I really appreciate how it was written. Like, has he ever told you the Ray Bradburn story? Mm-hmm. Ray Bradburn. What a name. That's an amazing name, especially for a firefighter. Bradburn? Ray? <laughs> You're right. And it reminds me of Ray Bradbury. Me too. I also I, thought of that. The whole time. Who's an author. And then I was like, Fahrenheit 451. Also kind of associated with fire. Yeah. The temperature at which books combust. All the synchronicities happening. All the synchronicities. But yeah, this story was sent in by Madison about her grandfather. Hey, thanks, Madison. Thanks, Madison. Yeah. And uh, she wanted to say shout out to Lloyd, who's her grandfather, who the story's oh. about. And he served with the fire department for almost 35 years. Whoa. He loved his job and helping others tremendously. 
He even helped a neighbor whose house caught on fire when he was 62 years old. Oh my gosh. Wow. Wow. Lloyd sounds like quite a man. True, true hero. Yeah, that's really cool. I love the name Lloyd. Another perfect name. He sounded like such a character too. I really, I really understood like the spins quite a tail kind of uh, grandpa. Mm -hmm. Known for being a jokester. Yeah, yeah. Who then actually was telling the truth. And then it's like one of those situations where you're like, was he? Was he not? Yeah. What a delight. Really, truly. Yeah, this was really well told, especially when she describes how it feels to have the full gear and the mask on and then put them inside of a burning building without any way of communicating with each other because this is before, you know, they had comms inside the helmets. You can feel like the weight of it. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. it's so claustrophobic. And they're just using a hose to direct themselves. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of like, you know, when you get thrown around in water and then you don't know which way is up. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about the um, the firefighter spirit saving him? Um, I mean, very cool story. Uh, yeah. Great name. A little bit uh, kind of rude that he t uh, turned his oxygen off. <laughs> I was kind of like flagging that. I was like, was that the best way to tell this guy? Which way to get out? Well, it got him to listen, didn't it? I guess it worked, you know? Yeah, did the job. But still, like, a bold move there, Ray. Would you look at that? It's ad time. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. This next story is told to us by the person who experienced it. So about one to two days after Christmas 2015, in New York, it's freezing out. You know, typical New York weather, the 20s, New York City's decorated, it, it's, it's beautiful. I, I was living in Brooklyn at the time, uh, right near Coney Island. At that time, I was a New York City firefighter. I was working in Ladder 119 in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and I had gotten on the fire department in 2006. So at that point, I had about nine, nine-ish years on the job and I had been to plenty of fires. This was definitely not my first fire. I'd probably been to a few hundred fires at that point. Got into the firehouse around six o'clock at night is when we start. And the night started out like a typical night. 
we're cooking dinner, we're making jokes, you know, we're watching sports on TV. A typical night in the firehouse, nothing on, uh, nothing out of the ordinary. Clock strikes midnight, I go upstairs, I go to the gymnasium alone, and then I start to smell smoke. It's gotta be close to you, I could smell it. I ran, went down the pole, and boom, it came over the intercom that we had a second alarm fire on Richardson Street in Greenpoint. We're hearing all the calls coming over the radio, put my gear on, jump on the truck. We're talking in the truck. Okay, what kind of a building do we have? Oh, it's a four-story building. We discuss where we're gonna go, what positions we're taking, going over what we would normally do with a fire. We're driving down Richardson, we're about to turn, and I start to see the thick black smoke coming from five blocks away. That means the fire's not out. Thick black smoke blowing in and out of the fire truck. It's so intense and so consuming. With the wind draft, it's like a sheet of ice, the air, with thick black smoke blowing in your face. We pull up, the truck parks. We get off the truck, I open the door, I jump out, I grab my tools. All sorts of chaos, people yelling to get our stuff to get going. The building on fire, smoke banked down on the block. People, you know, screaming out of windows, glass breaking. So we're getting the tools. We go to the front of the building with everything and things got so hectic in there, a chief came up and said, okay, scratch that. You're going in the top floor right now. And I look just to my left at the fire building to my left and they saw this purplish mist coming in. This mist is coming in, I'm like, looking at it, it's starting to take an outline and it's an outline of what looks like a person. And as that's happening, I start to smell my grandmother's perfume. I'll never forget my grandmother wore a Bill Blast like a 1980s vanilla scented perfume. I, I had not smelled that since she was alive. I go, whoa, that's her. I saw the mist coming in. I could see the visual. I could hear, Andrew, don't go in there, in my grandmother's voice. She had passed away in 2010-ish, so five, five years later, when that moment happened, it's like everything around me froze. I didn't hear the radio anymore. I didn't smell the smoke in the fire anymore. I didn't hear the guys anymore. Nothing for just a few seconds, maybe 10 seconds. And then as fast as she appeared and I smelled that and heard that, boom. It just whisked right away. It was that fast, 10 seconds maybe. Whatever that was, whether that was literally the soul of my grandmother, whether that was my higher self, my intuition, whatever you want to call it, this phenomena that happened, I, I feel that it was so, I didn't have any doubt. And I'm alert, you know, I'm fully aware of what's going on. I have my stuff and I'm thinking, we can't go in. We were told by the chief, okay, ladder 119, you're going in the top floor. You're told to go in, you go in, that's it. You know, I, I couldn't have said, hey, we can't go in there. I just saw a ghost, you know, no, no, no. Luckily, I was just with a few guys that I knew that I've worked with for years. I looked at the guys and said, don't go in there. Hold on a second. They look at me like, what? And 30 to 40 seconds later, boom. 
explosion. The debris blew us back. The windows blew up. I heard the glass fall into the ground. The debris from the explosion shot out of the windows and, and glass blew out. I remember glass literally coming and hitting me. And we were told to back up because they thought the structure was gonna collapse. You wanna go double the distance of the size of the building. So if it's four levels, you wanna be eight levels away down the street. Within the 30 seconds, it was an inferno. It, everything just flashed over, boom, instantly. We would have been incinerated. It was that dangerous of a situation. Luckily, no one was up on that top floor because they would not have made it out alive. It was a four-story home, so four levels. We were told to go into the top floor. So if an explosion happens, you're kind of trapped because you can't go up. You can't get to the roof in those buildings and you can't go down. Like once you're in there, that's it, you're stuck. We either would have had to dive out of windows, but the windows had bars on them where you may not even make it out. Unfortunately, two people were inside that lost their lives in the fire. They died, the two people, upon explosion. There was like a propane tank that blew up initially in the house and they died. But besides that, no firefighters, nobody else after we showed up got injured or killed or anything. And it was that little window, that 30 seconds, and it happened. If it was any longer, I don't know, I might have went in. I, I can't even say we might have just went in because that's what you do. If you disobey a direct order, you could get fired. You'll definitely get suspended. You'll definitely get thrown out of the firehouse you're in. And I don't think me explaining that I saw my grandmother's apparition would have cut it if nothing happened. You know what I mean? I could talk about this now, but if nothing happened, oh, I, I would have been a nut job, or someone would have said, oh, the guy's crazy, man. He said he's seeing ghosts. No, something happened that spoke to me differently. I didn't have the time to explain what I saw. I just said, hold on a second, bro. And they looked at me like, I could see their eyes like, what? And I'm like, just wait. I'm so glad I listened to that voice. And the guy next to me looked at me, the probing, and he goes, Bro, how did you know? How did you know that? He goes, thank God you listened to that, man. That's, that's, a, that's incredible. I said, well, if you ever get that, if anything like that ever happens to you, you trust your gut. You trust your intuition, man. The whole drive back, I'm sitting across from the guy that was new. It was his first fire. We're talking about everything like you would do at a normal first fire. Although this is not a normal first fire for anyone. Two people losing their lives inside. We almost went in. Things could have went down. We're just glad we're okay. We're getting back to the firehouse. I, I remember getting back to the firehouse, going upstairs, taking a shower. And while I was showering, I started crying. But it was tears of joy. It was relief. I was so touched that she went out of her way to help me. Oh my God, I feel, I, I feel blessed or something. It's actually a huge thing with intuition and firefighters. They've even done studies on this at hospitals, at universities. This is a real thing. They've tested firefighters' intuition showing up to fires. Use your five senses, but then there's that extra sense, that extra sense that you can't really put into words. Not everyone has that inner voice that they listen to that. Some people get real tunnel vision. I was very fortunate that I was able to separate that in that moment and say, okay, my intuition's talking to me. Whatever that is, I'm going to listen to that. Even if I have to go down to headquarters and talk about it, I don't care. Never happened again, never happened prior, but that one time, that one time. 
some chop breaking guys made fun of me when I came in one morning. I remember I came in a couple of days later and there was there was a ghost, like a, a ghost with big black eyes and a big white sheet wrapped around my locker. You, you know, like that's just guys making fun and making a joke out of everything, but it was their way of like, that's how they say they love you. They make fun of you. If they don't do anything, they don't like you, but I'm just being me. I was honest. I just say what happens, man. Share it with the guys. Guys started to open up to me about experiences they have had at fires and outside of the firehouse. Stories like that. So I was so comforted to know it's not just me. I've worked in all five boroughs. Every borough I've gone to, all five of them, this topic comes up, the subject comes up. I've heard of other stories of firefighters after 9-11, firefighters died at the World Trade Center. Guys have told me stories over the years that they have seen the apparitions, the ghosts, the soul of the deceased firefighter in the firehouse. Maybe these are acts of God, maybe these are miracles, angels in the firehouse. I don't know what they are, but this phenomenon happens all over the world. She saved my life. That's why I say my grandmother is my angel in the firehouse. If it wasn't for her or whatever that communication was, I wouldn't be here talking with you about this. My grandmother was very close with me in my life. She was always my go-to. We had a very tight relationship. I knew I could depend on her. So hearing that voice, smelling that perfume, seeing that visual, having all of that come together was validation. My grandmother has never left me. I didn't communicate with her in that five years after she passed. I didn't have to. I never had a bad situation like that, thank God. But the moment that I needed her again, when my life was on the line, she came through. She was right there. And I remember as a little kid, her telling me, I'll always be here for you. You know, love is forever. Love never ends. That'll never go away. Forever. Quite a saga. Wow. Yeah. So this story um, was told to us by the person that actually experienced it, um, Andrew Rajevich. I think that's how you say it. Thanks, Andrew. That's pretty wild. I think what was pretty interesting to me was that like, I just kind of realized in listening to this that I didn't really know the protocol, like what goes down at a fire. Mm -hmm. Like the little detail about the building collapsing where he says like, yeah. If it's a four-story building, you want to be eight stories away? That was interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that either. I'm I'm guessing that's like fireman knowledge, but that's it's good to know. Yeah. I'm curious what you think about um you know, firefighters having this sort of intuition mm -hmm. or almost like a sixth sense that something's about to go wrong. Yeah, yeah. I think like my take on that, like I know depends how much you attribute this to his intuition kicking in or if it's like mm -hmm. actually some sort of psychic phenomena or something like that otherworldly phenomena yeah i'm reading it like a intuition kicking in if i'm reading it that way i i really believe that first responders people that are in uh crisis situations have a like a way more 
honed in sense of emergency and intuition yeah. that is built up over time for sure. Like, I really think that's real. So I believe that. I fully believe that intuition, fight or flight, stuff like that yeah. is like really sharp for people that are first responders. Based on experience. Yeah. Based on experience. Yeah. There's that part of it where it's like, well, yeah, you have a lot of experience. You've been in a lot of dangerous situations. You have to develop that kind of intuition, that sense of this is about to go wrong. But I also think, you know, people in these kinds of professions, they're so close to death all the time and see so much. I know we talked about this with like hospital workers. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like it could maybe open you up to that kind of thing. You know, if paranormal or supernatural events were going to happen, it would kind of make sense that it would happen in life or death situations and like heightened events like this. Yeah. Yeah. I can appreciate that theory for sure. I guess that's why like people's loved ones come to them in times of need, Mm -hmm. probably more so than times of coziness. (laughs) During your 11th Gilmore Girls rewatch. (laughs) And total bliss. (laughs) But there is that other thing he said like at some point where he's like some people like have the insight and like some people have that sixth sense and some people don't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I guess I wonder. I wonder. I think some people have that. They're very open to that and other people aren't. I wonder if I'm one of those people that is not. The third eye. Um, I bet your third eye is not not super open. I think my third eye is closed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we should uh, take a picture of your aura and see what it looks like. My what? My aura? Yeah, you know the aura pictures where you see like the color mapping on your body? Yeah. Your your third eye might be a little dim. We'll see. All right, I'll, I'll work on it. I'll work <laughs> on it. But yeah, I think this was a, a really... Uh, like colorfully painted story. Super, super descriptive. Oh, yeah. I was very much there. Yeah, his voice and his storytelling style. I loved his voice. Are so great. Cinematic. Andrew, you have the best voice. I was like, this man should be in a movie. (laughs) For no reason. While I was listening, I was like, does this guy know my dad? I feel like he knows my dad. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, we're from New York. My dad has like a very classic New York vibe and a pretty thick accent. Yeah, I'd like to see the two of them shoot the shit and chat. <laughs> I'd love to see that too. Yeah, I think he has such a nice voice and also such a nice vibe and uh, sensibility. Like literally mm-hmm. just the, everything at the end with his grandma and saying love is forever. Ugh. I know. Oh, yeah, that got me, man. Really hit me. Loved that. Yeah, and just like something about the camaraderie of it all. Like them kind mm-hmm. of kidding with him after and... I know. That was cute. Yeah. That makes so much sense that he's like, if they're not joking around with you, they don't like you. It's classic bro stuff. Like, <laughs> like that's how they show you the love is to just like give you a little shit. Just a little shit. Wait, but that's you know? actually true. I mean, I'm saying it's bro stuff, but I think that's like probably how I operate as well. <laughs> <laughs> Meredith is a total bro. We know what you want. 
another ad. Right? Here's another story. Back when I was an active volunteer, I was a member of a fire department which many people reported to have paranormal activity. There were many rumors of who the spirit was and why the station may be haunted, but none of the stories seemed to have much basis in fact or any supporting evidence. Common experiences people reported included footsteps, disembodied voices, cabinets opening, pictures and lights falling from the walls or ceilings, and lights turning on and off. The first encounter I had was fairly minor. I had turned off the lights in a room one night while pulling ambulance duty, but when I came back moments later, the lights were back on. I was the only person in the station that night, and while not dramatic, it certainly raised the hairs on the back of my neck that night. There were several other times in which other members of the department and I experienced minor occurrences, more than once, lights dropped out of the ceiling tiles, often one by one. Other times, pictures dropped either straight down off the wall or were thrown several inches forward. On one occasion, late at night, about half a dozen of us set up a video camera in the administrative side of the building. We caught the disembodied voices of two women talking and laughing, though we couldn't make out any particular words. There was only one woman with us that night, and there was no potential interference from TVs or radios anywhere in that side of the building. Several more times we tried the experiment, but we never caught any further sound or visual evidence. The final two experiences to date that I had at this fire station were slightly more dramatic. One night, three or four of us were watching a movie in the crew room, again being the only people in the building. We heard footsteps go by a door and saw a shadow move under the door. The shadow was moving towards a dead end, so when the person never came back and we never heard any of the doors open, we got curious and went to see who was there. There was no one in any of the rooms or hallways in that small part of the building. It left us baffled. My final encounter occurred one sunny afternoon in front of two witnesses, and was definitely the hardest to explain. I was talking to two people in the crew room when a metal door, not light by any means, opened up about a third of the way and held open for about 30 seconds. There was a window in the door, and from where I was standing, I could clearly see that there was no one there. There was absolutely no wind either. None of us could explain this at all. Whatever happened then is still happening now. I keep in touch with several active members and I've heard a few similar stories in the past few years. Voices and footsteps apparently do still walk the halls there late at night. It seems that whoever or whatever is haunting that volunteer firehouse, is here to stay.
So it sounds like there's a little prankster haunting this fire station. Yeah. It sounds like more of a nuisance who likes to uh, smash glass, <laughs> drop lights out of the ceiling. Yeah. Kind of a classic, lightly haunted story. No, no big events, just general hauntings. <laughs> mm-hmm. This goes in the general hauntings category. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're, um, they're pulling out all the, uh, all the tropes. You know, the footsteps, doors opening, things dropping. But I do think this kind of plays interestingly after hearing uh, uh, Andrew's story about the angels in the firehouse. Because after hearing that story, now I'm hearing this one differently where I'm like, oh, is it like former firefighters? Firehouse angels. Is yeah. Is that what the, the this thing is? Like, you know, kind of made me think of that. Yeah. I'd be like, hey, cool cool that you're appearing to us. Uh, can you stop making me sweep up glass? Yeah, you're really fixated on the glass breaking. <laughs> it's a hazard. You're going to cut yourself. <laughs> That's true. It, you could you could hurt yourself. You got to get a broom out? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, the only thing that I uh, kept thinking when I heard this one was like the volunteer firefighter stuff. Mm-hmm. Actually, I don't know. What? It just reminded me of like <laughs> of Dwight. Dwight. <laughs> In the office, <laughs> yeah. they like keep bringing it up, and I'm like, "Okay, bro, you're a volunteer firefighter. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> Good for you." <laughs> Not to disrespect, obviously, we need volunteer firefighters. That's true, but uh, I mean, I will say the other two stories had more harrowing experiences. The real firefighters. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, them's fighting words. Mm. Anyway, I guess you can come at me for that. Yeah, bring it. <laughs> you can come at me for that. Rattled and Shook is a Tenderfoot TV production in partnership with Odyssey. Executive producers are Donald Albright and Payne Lindsay. Co-executive producer is Meredith Stedman. Hosted and produced by April Ruha and Meredith Stedman. Lead editor and sound designer is April Ruha. Additional production by Sean Nerney. Production management by Tracy Kaplan and Jordan Foxworthy. Original score by Makeup and Vanity Set. Original art by Puppy Teeth. Follow us on social media at Rattled and Shook. know that science solves crimes. Forensic science is exciting, challenging, and most of all, rewarding work. But there is a shortage of qualified individuals in this field. Hi, I'm Terry with Loyola University, Maryland's Forensic Science Department. Loyola is one of the only colleges in the country offering advanced degrees in forensic pattern analysis and biological forensics. Our courses, taught by forensic experts, feature hands-on training and small class sizes. 
They are based on real crime scene and forensic examiner training programs to ensure you are ready to make a difference. Our programs are open to students from a variety of academic backgrounds because we believe everyone can contribute to solving crimes. So what are you waiting for? Discover the excitement of forensic science at Loyola University, Maryland. Visit loyola.edu forward slash forensic for more information. That's loyola.edu forward slash forensic because you are ready to make a difference. Join one of Loyola University, Maryland's forensic science programs today.